1: Hi, global investors. Before we get started with today's episode, are you looking to finance your US real estate investment as a foreign investor? Contact UniversalCommercialCapital.com. They do not require any credit history, employment, income verification, or permanent residency status. All you need to have is the minimum 35% down payment in a U.S. banking institution for two months. Rates start at six percent with a 30-year term. The whole approval process can be completed in 30 days. Call 888 888- 334-9039 or email them at info at universalcommercialcapital.com. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Crillo. Today we have Chris Jackson. Chris began his career as a computer programmer and now is the managing partner of Sharpline Equity. Chris specializes in finding underperforming multifamily assets with high upside opportunities and currently has 300 units in their portfolio. Chris has over 10 years experience and over 500 units of experience in all aspects of real estate investing, from flipping, wholesaling, lending, and then small multifamily to large multifamily. So thanks so much for being on the show.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: So it's, uh, it's pretty interesting because you came from the, your tech background and then you became a real estate investor. So uh, I want to kind of dig in a little bit more to your professional experience prior to you becoming a real estate investor or prior to you starting your current business. Short sure,
0: point. I was a computer programmer for a very long time. I I was I'm an introvert by nature, and I dove into computer programming, one because I loved it, but two, it allowed me to like hide behind the computer for many years. I, I was a very good computer programmer and rose up through the ranks of programming and project manager and partner. Uh, but I really was hiding behind uh some insecurities about uh about about outwardness and, and just like I, w- I was able to just hide and do my skill set within computer programming that's turned out to be a great skill set to have in real estate investing but uh, the truth is is that I was hiding behind my introversion and I had to get over that through a, a, quite a few years of personal growth and uh, brutal, brutal uh, personal growth mechanisms and, and attempts to, to find my inner extrovert which has helped me and it's been a wonderful process and that's when I really started to flourish as a uh, real estate investor and that actually helped my tech career when I started mm-hmm. to find my inner extrovert what uh, what is your specialty
1: then? Are you more of a, an analyst or are you more of the person that's going out raising the money
0: so I have a business partner her name is Krista she is a, an attorney uh, mm-hmm. she, she and I both uh, handle asset management we have that overlapping skill set mm-hmm. she also is is wonderful at creating uh, relationships and uh, raising equity for deals. But I, I'm actually the deal finder, the analyst, the underwriter, she can underwrite mm. as well. But my main focus is creating relationships with brokers, uh, direct to sellers, uh, bankers, and investors. And, and that has come from me really finding that I'm like an ambivert. I, I, I have used my introversion to find my superpower, which is to create very authentic relationships very quickly. Because I'm not the, uh, the guy that goes out there and Johnny handshake tons of people, but I go out there and I can quickly, uh, authentically make real relationships with people, very deep relationships quickly, because that's really where I want to spend my time.
1: Yeah. So you're the guy that goes to the conference and instead of getting 50 people's business cards, yeah. you get five and you really become very close with one or two of those people. Yeah.
0: Then we're buds. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And that's, that's what happened. I feel like that's uh, an advantage on the broker relationship side too. Mm -hmm. Uh, The brokers know that I'm a real dude and that, uh, that we have a relationship and that allows me to get higher up on the food chain of getting uh, access to good opportunities.
1: Yeah. It's great that you're the underwriter as well when speaking with the brokers, because then you can give them the quick feedback, Yes. of what's happening on the deal, why you like a deal, why you don't like a deal, and um, kind of you know, everything like that that you have to, to enhance that broker relationship. So,
0: Yeah, yeah um, I mean, actually, that's, that's an important piece right there because uh, when I'm talking to brokers, I'm not just talking about the, the one deal that we're going over and they know that I know my stuff. It's, mm-hmm. it's that I'm so active in the market that I bring up reference points to value of other properties that have sold, or are about to sell or doing a certain amount of work where they're getting rent increases that are surprising uh, or some issues that are happening on some other properties in the areas. And the brokers know that I know the market and then they know that uh, they, they can get information and value from me too. So that creates the deeper relationship.
1: Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's exactly how you want to do it. Then you know when they're sending you a deal, you're going to come back and it's going to be a yes or no very quickly one way or the other, or maybe and with your specific reasons why for every, Answer, Um, why did you choose real estate as your investment vehicle when you were uh, when you were starting out? And um, what other? Can you explain a little bit more of your other real estate background that you had prior to syndicating?
0: Yeah, sure. I I'm 44 years old now, and when I was about 21, I got the real estate investing bug. I was seeing the Carlton Sheets of the world. Uh, I got the, the CDs, and for 10 years because of my introversion, I just thought about real estate and did nothing. Absolutely nothing. I I was a real estate investor in my mind (laughs) and uh, I overanalyzed because that's what I think a lot of introverts do is overanalyze. And uh, I remember uh, it was about 10 years ago, I was speaking to my wife and I just said to her, I was like, I can't think about real estate investing anymore. I, I need to do it. So I hired a mentor. local mentor and I went right into small multifamily and I picked real estate because it felt like even though I was an introvert and I was over analyzing things it felt like an asset class that I could once I had the knowledge once I could get over the analysis paralysis Mm -hmm. and start taking action I, I knew that I could control the value it was an asset class where I could control value and that was really important to me yeah, it's
1: much more, you have much more control than you do on any other asset class within real estate, uh, especially single family homes where you're kind of at the mercy of the the neighborhood and of uh, the comps in that neighborhood.
0: There are various levers all over the place operationally that you can pull, maneuver to uh Solve a problem or mm-hmm. increase revenue or execute your business plan, uh, react to things that are surprises. I, I love the different levers that you can pull in okay. all areas.
1: So you are uh, being so knowledgeable of different markets that you're in. What are your target markets and what is your criteria when looking at those markets?
0: So right now the bulk of our portfolio is in the Southeast in the uh, Georgia market. We have gone into larger multifamily over the last few years Uh, We are entering the North Carolina and South Carolina markets when we can find the right opportunity. We tend to stay away from the coast just because of insurance premium issues for us. Uh, We like markets that have the the, the basics, but important uh, to say is, you know, job growth, population growth, rent growth. Uh, So we, we focus on those areas, even though those are highly competitive, they still have the bedrock of the uh, market that we're looking for. And with our, uh, you know, our relationship building and our ability to penetrate a market and using data at various forms, we feel that we can find uh, opportunities, albeit competitive right now because of the top of the market cycle. Uh, Those are still the areas we want to focus on.
1: Yeah. what um, With so many different syndicators out there, especially with so much buzz around multifamily investing, how do you guys differentiate yourself from other investors out there? Because obviously there's, I mean, the Southeast, myself being down there as well, uh, it is a there's everybody's, everybody all over, national syndicators are all over here buying properties, looking to buy properties.
0: Yes. Uh, The way we differentiate ourselves is we bridge the gap between the investor and community. We feel that there is uh, in the marketplace, a lack of uh, connecting those two. There's a lot of focus obviously on the investor and that's absolutely Mm -hmm. critical. You have a fiduciary responsibility to your investors, but it's at the Lack of paying attention to community development. So when you apply uh, principles of community development uh, in various forms, you get uh, residents that want to stay longer. Mm-hmm. They want to. They get word of mouth uh, uh, advertising, and that in effect, if when you when you also focus on community development, that enhances your returns for your investors. So we bridge that gap, and that's where we feel like we uh, differentiate ourselves because we actually execute on tactics to develop community.
1: Yeah, that's so important because with syndication, with the whole value add thing, which is, I mean, what everybody's been doing and it's, um, it's all about, you know, putting work in and jacking up the rents, really. I mean, that's really what it comes out to be. And that's the only way that you hear from normal syndicators, how they're able to add value to it. And I always think there's hidden pieces where uh, you can also, by cutting down on the turnover, yes. uh, is one of the other factors, and this is one of the re- ways you're able to do it, you can also create value because a turnover yes. cost, obviously anybody that's ever owned any type of real estate, rented it out, they know it's, it's like the killer in the whole deal for that's the right. landlord. Um, so it's something where it's great to have someone with a, an, additional, uh, an additional kind of avenue of generating and building that NOI uh, other than just hey we did some work to your apartment and now your rent's going up you know ten percent so yeah
0: exactly I mean that that's the that's the hidden area of of multifamily we're operators so we're constantly mm-hmm. looking to tweak various areas in uh, in asset management and mm-hmm. community development is part of asset management
1: yeah how is your asset management, since you guys speak so much, because most of the time with, um, with real estate investing, with syndication, anything like this, you're dealing about deal flow and then yep. you're dealing about, and then you're also talking about raising money. And those are like what people really focus on, but no yep. one really focuses on like the most important part, which is actually running the property and the asset management. So how do you guys, how do you have that structured with your firm?
0: So, yeah, I mean, that's when the work actually begins. I mean, it's, it's you find the deal, you raise the money, you, you, you celebrate, everybody's celebrating. But actually, that's actually day one. <laughs> so you got, that, you're, you're the operator now. You have to operate the deal. And you can have a great deal that's, that's misoperated. And then that's actually opportunity for the next person. So that's why operations is really important. Asset management is not getting enough play as it should in the multifamily world. Um, one, because it's not sexy. It's just, it's not sexy. It takes a lot of discipline and there are areas of focus that most people are not paying attention to. And that's also where we feel like we differentiate. We have, you have a a few pillars of of asset management that we focus on. You have resident marketing, delinquency management, renewal management, community development, reputation management, and then you also have the on-site staff management, which is either your self-managed PM or third party management. So when you focus on these areas, there's so many levers that you can pull within those and focusing on within the, each of these pillars allows you to improve the NOI of the property. Hmm.
1: Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's uh it's definitely, the other thing too, is that there's not that much money made for the syndicator on the asset management. They get that, you know, one or that's 2% right. percent a month. It didn't get a big acquisition fee. They're not getting a big disposition fee. It's really, they're just the ongoing and uh, having the calls with the PM and the project managers yeah. and the contractors during it is, like you said, not the most sexy thing of uh, that's of real estate.
0: that's that's really the work. That's where you know there is a bit of this going on in the industry right now just because of the heat of the market cycle, but it is like fee hunting. You know, and like you mentioned, it's about getting the deal. and that's where, and then, like and then the 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 fee that you get during the asset management, as you mentioned, is not as big as compared to the acquisition fee or the exit so that's why like we that's where we differentiate ourselves that we are more of the operator holder group so although the fee is not as huge it we are taking on projects where it just makes sense where the whole entire project is viewed as the the part of the fee structure acquisition fee the asset management fee the exit so we are operators at heart. And that that really is our focus. And, and I would love more uh, multifamily groups to start paying attention to because I think that they would see that you can operate buildings better.
1: Yeah, of course, because it's funny because that's the thing that every person, every investor should be looking for is a mismanaged building. Yes. And, uh, and then when they actually acquire it, it's kind of put on the back burner and you're like, well, and now I see how these how these problems start because people show me, oh, this has been a mismanaged five 10, unit, or five, $10 million building. And you're like, how is that possible? Someone would let this go to disarray, but then you see it because people are putting it on the back burner after they acquire it. And yes. uh, they're focusing on underwriting other units and other stuff, and they're not really 100% into getting that deal actually where it was supposed to be or where it should be in the cycle of the whole value add.
0: The, uh, getting on phone calls every week with your property manager, and and it's not just uh, oh and we spent an hour with that property manager. It's a review period on our team of the Monday morning report. Uh, what areas to have been done correctly last week? What areas do we have to pay attention to? What things haven't been done? Uh, a lot of whack a mole, a lot of bumper bowling, so that you don't lose a you don't lose two weeks, you don't lose a month by just getting your report at the end of the month and saying oh gosh like we have to correct things you you can understand when things are going off track. You can make quicker decisions when you see that there's going to be more notice to vacates coming up and that maybe you have to push marketing a bit heavier this next three weeks to get ahead of it.
1: Right. It's also crucial to do it in the first 12 months, especially the first six months of uh, after our acquisition, because that at that point is where the truth really comes out. And you oh, find right. out that, uh, you know, people were paying later than they said and um, late fees weren't being collected. Now you're, you might have a whole mess of other issues coming up where you have to be, well, we thought we were going to evict this many, but now we're going to have to do this. Now we have to stagger it a little bit because we have to keep the cash flow coming in. So it's really, you have to be very, it's very intense for the first few months after acquiring, especially a larger property.
0: Yeah. I mean, do we have to, do we as a group have to pay attention uh, and exert more energy to delinquency management? Mm -hmm. Is there a way to uh, improve that without just Uh, Ripping bandaid off like Mm -hmm. you have to really analyze the whole piece. I mean usually like the strictness of your of your delinquency management is crucial. You need to understand, you know, is it possible also that you have a a fair amount of residents that were just very unhappy with the last owner that wasn't taking care of maintenance requests. And you do have a better resident base than you thought, but now you just need to take care of them more. It's a a review period. It's just a, it's a holistic view of all of the pillars. And then when you dive into each pillar, that's what's so important about operations. that's the part we love. I mean, truly.
1: Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of ways that you can, uh, I mean, there's a lot of different facets of the whole asset management and there's so many different ways that you can actually add value to it, which is different from just, um, like we spoke about earlier than just raising rents and doing, it's just the retention I think is a huge part. But, um, um, you coming from the tech side and now you're involved with, uh, larger multifamily properties. How does your company incorporate technology into running your business currently?
0: Yeah, I mean, you can. Uh, being a tech guy, I'm used to the communication side and uh, task management and workflow management mm-hmm. through tech tools. So, just from internally at our business, we use uh, Trello and Asana for various types of movement of tasks through projects. Uh, when we communicate with our on site property management teams, you, you have all the various uh, communication forms of video, and we make them use Trello and Asana. And you can use FaceTime to see things more accurately, shorten the distance uh, across virtual teams, if you will. And then also applying technology in all the various disciplines that we just mentioned of asset management gives uh, gives us an edge too. Where you have all the new school types of resident marketing out there mm-hmm. from Facebook, Craigslist, email blasting, uh, follow up mechanisms through technology tools uh communications with residents through community development with newsletters and things like that you when you don't have the knowledge of those tech tools to make it easier uh, most people tend to just shy away and not do the work so with uh, my ability to know which tools are appropriate and integrate them through all the teams it gives us an edge not just from communication within our teams but but communication with the on-site property teams to the residents and community. And that communication uh, quickness and response time is where it's really important for residents and community development because everybody's used to things very quickly now. The attention spans are gone, expectations are high, and you can introduce tools that make it so it's not overwhelming to be almost real-time responding.
1: Yeah, I was uh, at our meetup yesterday that we had. I had a property manager that was in there and he was just saying the The quickness of the response, right, of going back to that tenant, even if it's something that small or something you're not going to handle or something you're going to put off, right, for a few days if you have bigger problems or whatever's going on, just letting them know that you've received it, that you've, you know, that you actually have it, that you're responding back to them. That whole little process saves so many issues, he says, with all the different units.
0: I fully agree. And you can then take it one step further too, which is say you get. A negative review, which is now getting into reputation management. Mm-hmm. If you respond quickly and proactively reach out to that resident, that you say, Oh, God, like wh- what happened here? There was must have been a miscommunication. Did we do something wrong? And you correct the issue. We've seen that when you respond quickly, one online, so that you have all the ratings algorithms, see that you're a responsive owner. And then two, you're responding on the human level quickly to the issue. We have seen that you'll get, I don't have the exact percentage, but I feel like I've seen, there were five negative reviews and, and we responded very quickly. We almost got four of them removed right away. The the mm. poster will remove the negative review because they feel taken care of. And that's, that's important. When you're dealing with this number of residents, you're, you're not going to be perfect and you are going to have some negative reviews that show up, but how you handle that negative review is really the difference maker. And you, you that's how you maintain great reputation is that that negative review got removed and you it's not just falsely, oh, let's just get our bad ratings down by doing something. It's actually taking care of the resident that they, they themselves removed it.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And now, that, now they have word of mouth spreading that they got taken care of and that's what we care about.
1: Yeah, it, it, we're living in that Amazon overnight, same day kind of thing where you have yeah. to do everything. It has to be done quickly and they have to respond And people, you know, they're putting something in, they want to get a response on it. They want to get their, their question answered. They want to get their problem resolved and um, they, they don't want to have to deal with, uh, you know, waiting it out so long. So it's, uh, it's, you, it's so important. We
0: as owners and asset managers have to provide the technical tools of communication mm-hmm. that allow for our on-site teams to respond that quickly without feeling overwhelmed with uh, what it takes to be quick responders. So if you don't have the processes in place or the tools to accomplish that, it's going to feel overwhelming. And that's where tech can help.
1: Other than uh, Trello and Asana, which I use, I I love Trello's, and Asana is great for project management. What other, what other tools software do you guys utilize?
0: Uh, for which parts? There's so many.
1: Uh, for let's say for doing the actual management, where your tenants are actually logging in, and then how do you how do you communicate with other teams? So you have your inside team. Mm-hmm. I imagine you might use something like Slack, and then how do you yes. speak with your outside team such as contractors or stuff like that? Do you bring them onto a different platform? Is it done?
0: So we use we use Slack as our communication tool for our. Intra team, mm-hmm. and then the uh, even inter team amongst all of our uh, property management team or a uh, contractor that's doing longer uh, period of time work would would get put on Slack so that there can be a communication channel, uh, and and then uh, we use a lot of video. You know, I'm I'm actually and then I actually go out old school. I'll I'll take a I'll take old school approach here. Is uh, you know with all of this we can throw tools at it and everybody can hide behind stuff. I get on the phone very, very, very quickly. I, it's about communication, so I know when to pull it off Slack and email, <laughs> and get on the phone and, and develop relationship relationship and hear voice inflection, so you know when somebody's upset or not, or or give them encouragement and reward, and right. encouragement. Uh, some yeah. other tool, yeah. No, go on. Sorry. Oh no. And then, uh, as far as uh, you know, numbers management uh, with the, the uh, various. P&Ls that are coming through on properties, that would be dependent really on your, if you're using third party management, you're going to have teams that use a certain software package. So we are used to using various platforms there, such as AppFolio, Buildium, uh, RealPage, which is super powerful. And we can dive into those systems from our teams. And we know how to work with each third party management team within those systems.
1: Awesome. Yeah, so you guys have access full access to it so you see exactly when rent's been paid when yeah. Oh yeah. That's awesome. Definitely. Yeah, that's exactly what you need especially when you're speaking to investors and you know exactly where you are in the month and where everything has been done. You know, you can give actual factual uh relevant information when you're giving that monthly newsletter or you're doing that webinar with your investors for a project that you've previously closed. Correct. So, um, so with, um, with where we are right now in the market and everything like that, what, what do you think for the next, uh, the next few years, where do you think we stand with multifamily? Let's just say as uh, an example.
0: So it's interesting is that a year ago, you know, we all said, including me, everybody was nervous and mitigating the risk of interest rates going up. It now seems possible that interest rates are going to stay the same or possibly go down. <laughs> Uh, so if that occurs, you are going to see if, even if there was a blip in the market for what no one really can predict, but if there was a blip and interest rates go down, you would somewhat have a plateau on pricing because interest rates went down, uh, where we're seeing in the marketplace though, as an overall where we're looking for opportunity and what I could see is I'm seeing what I'm, what I'm calling, uh, and, and I, I'll give credit to a guy named Bill Hamm, a buddy of mine he coined this phrase, but it's a great phrase, it's called the capex tsunami. Uh, we are seeing pre 1980s buildings getting the kind of capital infused in the areas that you were mentioning before, which is in the unit uh, upgrades, the units only one to $10,000 in the units to, to, to get that rent increase and capture it because there is demand for that kind of increase in the unit in, uh, uh, unit upgrades, however, all that's great, and your top-line income goes up, but if you're not servicing the capital needs of the bones of these pre-1980 buildings, you won't have predictable cash flow. And we see an opportunity in the future if we can get it at the right pricing for introducing capital at those areas that are getting neglected, like roofs, windows, underground piping, ACs, water, uh, water heaters. You can in the future, I think there's going to be an opportunity where capital's not getting infused properly on some of these projects where we could go in at the right price and concentrate on those bones of the buildings in those high demand areas and still continue to work on unit upgrades. But if, when the numbers work, infuse the right capital so that you're handing off a better stable building, CapEx building that's pre-1980s to the next investor who is going to discount people in the future for not doing that work. Hmm. Right now, everybody's getting rewarded for the top line only, but I, do, I am starting to see the next buyers in the chain start discounting some of these CapEx needs that are gonna start call, come calling. We've already had two projects where in the 1970s built, have underground piping such as cast iron, and I'm not talking about the, the unit plumbing, the mm-hmm. underground piping, the main lines, cast iron, uh, galvanized. They're 50 years old. They're coming to their service of a life. And we've had to put money uh, into those to fix them. And we had one where it was a $21,000 a month bill for water, put $100,000 into uh, replacing to PVC and adding main shutoffs to every building. And it dropped the water bill to $11,000. So that's $10,000 savings per month. So it's a payback of one year. And you're also going to get rewarded in the future for your valuation from either a future refi or a supplemental or your next investor saying, I'm worried about these things on this vintage. Oh, but you did that work. I will pay you a premium for that, for doing that work. So I see an opportunity in the future for undercapitalized older vintages and finding those when the pricing is right to do that work and to be able to uh, service the entire building and not just unit upgrades.
1: It's on the water pipes. It's also on. Um, it's even on natural gas lines. I don't know how your properties are there as well, but um, I've had that on some of my properties as well. I had a repipe a property a few months back that was natural gas, mm-hmm. and um, it, the the pipes in the property were like pre nineteen sixty. So they obvi- when they were doing it, it was um, they had put they put like a scent into. The gas, which ruins all of the joints and stuff like that. So I had to have a whole property redone like that. So it's definitely one of those things that um because now everybody's doing like we were talking about the sexy upgrades, which gets yes. the top line going. But no one's gonna pay more for rent for a roof that doesn't leak, for windows that aren't as drafty. Um, so that's the kind of stuff that needs to be done. And then it'll be actually a, a true turnkey property for the next investor who will most likely be, you know, our exit strategies on most of these are to yield investors. Mm-hmm. So people that just want to hold it long-term get fixed low debt and hold it for the, for, you know, 10, 15 years plus.
0: And you, and you, when you keep your records correct and you can showcase to the next investor that these are the things you should be worried about, but these are the things that have been solved. I believe you will be paid for a premium yeah. for those. Uh, and right now what's tough is that to accomplish all that, a lot of numbers don't work because the numbers are just there to get into a property, do the unit upgrades and, and that's it. So yes, it's challenging to find that, but I believe in the next few years those CapEx needs are going to come calling and we can see uh, an arbitrage in the market for that uh, as an opportunity for us. We also see an opportunity for our group uh, with a smaller group of investors uh, on some of the smaller unit counts where we can deploy our asset management skills, our operational skills, to overcome some of the negatives of smaller unit counts, the lack of advantage of economies of scale, but mm. go into the smaller unit counts, doing what we do, uh, applying asset management principles that we apply to all of our unit size properties, and, and 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 beat some of our competitors that maybe don't have as much access to capital and wherewithal that we do.
1: Yeah, for sure. I. It's, it's so important. And it's something where, especially in the older property, sometimes you're almost opening a can of worms. So you might try to patch something and then you find out later, it would just been easier just to do the whole thing. Uh, and obviously, yeah. yeah.
0: No, you're, we, you're, we, we actually, that, that was the process on one of our buildings. We had uh, we had an idea that there was possibly a water issue, uh, but it had been fixed by the owner. It was a whack-a-mole, and the problem with water bills is they're they're kind of like three months behind, hmm. unless you have it like real-time water sensors. Uh, so it was fixed, but we did have enough capex in our budget, kind of as earmarked. Like I, I think this day is going to come calling, and we had a, a water leak show up, and we whack-a-mole it once. I think it was something like two to four thousand dollars of a fix. The next one occurred again, and it was two to four, and we were like, done, forget it. We're never, we're going to whack them all this thing forever at two to $4,000 clips. Let's, let's get the pricing on what it's going to take. We, we had an idea of what that pricing would be and uh, delivered on it. And it, it's a, it's a stinky project. You know, it's like you rip up the, the under, you rip up the, the sidewalks, you, you, it's, it, yeah. it, it uh, disintegrates the show trail of your uh, potential renters for a time because they kind of show up to like mud and everywhere. But these are the kind of decisions that are required by operators to make these hard decisions, deploy that kind of correct capital on the non-sexy capex items, but ultimately do have investment value and return value
1: yeah. on all the
0: areas, immediate cash flow uh, or reduction of cap cash flow loss, uh, like if like in this case, a water leak, like that was like let's improve it and 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 stop it from being so high. But then we reduced it to a level that wow, this is more consistent and uh, predictable for us and the next investor and we'll get rewarded for it.
1: What What vintage are the properties that you're looking at in Georgia? Are they 60s, 70s, 80s?
0: I, I mean, we we are looking at 60s and 70s, but right now what's happening is we need to apply a certain amount of CapEx in the budget to handle the pre-1980s buildings to do it right. Uh, that's harder to find. So we are looking at newer the problem with newer, 1980s and newer, it's just like everywhere in the, the market cycle for everybody. It is a flight to quality. So you have a lot of competitors. You have a lot of big money in the institutional funds that know the same thing that we do. Uh, so you are competing against uh, lower expectation returns on capital. But yeah, we, we are looking in both areas. But it, when we look at these uh, newer than 1980 or older than 1980, when we look at older than 1980. Uh, we ask right away, is there PVC pipes underneath? So that's that's kind of our deductive reasoning there. We will still look at it. I'm not saying a no to 1960s. It just usually means I'm priced out for the time being yeah. uh, because we have to do the right CapEx. However, we still are finding opportunities here and there. If, if they're, you just have to uh, filter them correctly.
1: Yeah. A lot of the operators don't want to deal with a heavy value add they want to just do a little lipstick and they want to just keep it for, for the yield. You know what I mean? So, Correct. uh, so in regards to passive investing and, um, what, what, what do kind of, if you had somebody that wanted to be a potential passive investor, what factors would you have them look when they're researching different, uh, potential syndicators, what should they look for in, in partnering with another general partner with a syndication?
0: Sure. I mean, track record's really important. It's their experience in multifamily and they should develop a relationship with the sponsor and find out if they're of like-mind thinking and how they approach investing in multifamily. uh, What is the desired goals of the investor and the sponsor? Um, I think that you should look for sponsors that have full cycle multifamily experience. We have five full cycle deals under our belt that from uh, finding the deal, raising the capital, communicating with the investors, executing on the business plan either through bridge loan or refinance, and then, and then ultimately sale. So we have five, and like you want to see that a sponsor knows what it's like to go through these various processes and then ultimately have uh, the sale, return of capital, and return.
1: Yeah. No, it's super important. The, the transparency in these syndications as well, like you were saying, having the, being able to ex, uh, speak to people. And to provide them with uh, factual information, from uh, it's, it helps out with having all the, the tech pieces that you guys employ, but um, you're able to tell them exactly what's happening, what's going on, and when you're giving those reports and copies of bank statements, uh, whatever you do monthly or quarterly, it, it allows all your investors to see exactly where you are, not just I'm telling you over the phone or right. by email, you know what I mean? So. yeah, you
0: need to communicate with your investors through every technological means possible through, we do a lot of uh, video in our newsletters. Uh, we do a lengthy newsletter and we give the financials and but we're also talking through some of the things that have occurred that month and what we're planning to do in the future. And then transparency is critical when there are surprises that come up, uh, how you have determined what the problem is. Uh, what are the options that you have at your disposal to solve the problem? What you chose as the sponsor as the solution that ultimately is benefiting uh, the investor and the project for the long term. So you have to talk through those things when yeah. hiccups happen. And then when you do that, uh, yes, it can be uncomfortable when there's a surprise, but you know you should be planning for some surprises. And how you deal with surprises is very important. Yeah. And then when you deal with them and execute on that plan, and you talk about it later about how uh, your your solution worked. Uh, you you have been investors for a long time because they felt good about the entire process. They never felt like they were in the dark.
1: Yeah, Of course, and I think when you're purchasing an asset, especially something that's 40 years or 50 years old, uh, I mean, it's, it's foolish to think that there's not going to be any type of surprises. I mean, you're buying a property, say, with 100 different tenants, 100 different customers that are there, a property that's 40 years old, 50 years old. Um, I mean, and that expectation has to be given to the investors, especially a, a first-time investor in oh, one sure. of these syndications, because then they know exactly what to expect, hey, we've, and then also, hey, we've overraised by, you know, we have an extra reserve of this and we have a reserve of this. Mm-hmm. And they that agree. gives them the, you know, it, it tells them, hey, we can weather any kind of storm that we have for the most part, obviously, if there's something really drastic, but for the yeah, most I mean, part.
0: Uh, I mean, all those those pieces that you mentioned are really important. It's it's like, where is your capital stack? What are your contingency plans? Uh, all those things are, are, are super important. And what's also important too is, uh, just because a building is older, uh, that could have surprises. Uh, I've, I've seen some new build stuff have surprises with certain, you know, you could have settling problems on a new build. Like there can be surprises really in any mm-hmm. business venture. So uh, new, like basically just communicating what you think the risks are for all the varying asset classes and, and talking through how your approach is to mitigating those.
1: Right. Yeah. It's really, if you're looking to buy a property in this in this syndication, uh, this firm has specialty in buying, you know, 1970s to 1990 built properties and C-class properties. Okay. And that's what they're buying. Then, okay, this is right in their wheelhouse. If I was dealing with a person, they were dealing with B-plus properties that were 15 years old and now they want to buy a, a C property that's 45 years old. It's not really right in their wheelhouse. Yeah. I mean, you would have to
0: talk through with them, have the open communication or uh, expect the communication to come from the sponsor about how they identified that maybe this is the first time in their wheelhouse that they're doing this new Mm -hmm. asset class, but what have they thought through as far as recognizing Mm -hmm. uh, that these are the pieces that they are concerned with, how they've mitigated it, but uh, here's our approach to mitigate them. And we're going to take it on uh, because we have the experience in these other areas. Uh, but it just has to be well thought out. That's the transparency, Pete. Yeah. It's being self-aware. If we were to do new build tomorrow or buy an A-class, I'm not saying a no, but we would talk through these are the pieces. This is our first time doing A-class. This is what we're worried about. This is why we think it's a good deal as compared to other A-class. Um, and is this the right fit for you, Mr. Investor, given that this is our first A-class? That's that's the mm-hmm. kind of conversations that sponsors should have with their yeah. investors.
1: Yeah, awesome. Yeah, no, I totally agree. So Chris, how can people learn more about uh, Sharpline and yourself?
0: I can go, I'm, I'm pretty available on the internet uh, through a variety of, of places, but I can reach the Sharpline Equity website, sharplineequity.com. There's a contact form. Uh, we answer those emails. You can reach me on Facebook, Chris Jackson. Uh, you can say Chris Jackson Sharpline. Uh, we also have a private Facebook group called Multifamily Unveiled where we talk about the ins and outs uh, of things that we're experiencing. Some, we do a lot of uh, thoughtful shares in that group mm-hmm. and also I'm on LinkedIn.
1: Awesome. Okay. Well, I'll put all those links into the show notes. And I want to thank you one more time for being on the show and uh, look forward to uh, connecting with you soon.
0: Thank you. Appreciate it.
1: Thank you. Bye. Hi guys. This is Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in investing in real estate, and you don't know where to begin, set up a free 15 minute strategy call with me at schedulecharles.com. That's schedulecharles.com. Thank you
0: for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Harborside Partners Incorporated exclusively.